This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Previously on Disappeared, the Bradley Sisters. Chandra. On the 6th of July, which is the morning that the girls came up missing, or the day that they were discovered gone, George Washington was at your house, or was he at your house that night, or in the wee hours of that morning, like up until 3 a.m.? Yeah. On the 6th. He may have been, and then got up and left. And then George goes and starts his day with Tracy Bradley. He was always getting up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Maybe a year into dating him, I would be asleep. And I would, if I got up to use the bathroom, he would be gone. And I would think maybe he got called to work or went to do something for his mother, because mm-hmm. I think his father had passed away. When you say gone, I mean literally physically I, yeah, out of the house? Yeah, gone out of the house. Was that saying goodbye? No. And I would either catch him coming back in, or I would be up when he. You know, I would be woke when he came and kind of crept back in the bed. I am Pam Childs, and this is Disappeared, the Bradley Sisters. I'm just back from Houston, having been traveling a lot for this case, and ready to reset and refocus. My goal is to lay the information we've acquired out on the table and make sense out of conflicting timelines and statements. We've continually focused on what happened during the 24 hours between midnight July 6th and midnight July 7th, 2001. 
We have three main parties to consider. George Washington, Tracy Bradley, and Chandra Stewart. We know Chandra believes George Washington left her home around 3 a.m. in the morning. George Washington's statement is a little off from that. This is what his statement said. On the morning of July 6th, he was at his girlfriend's place, who he refers to as Chandra Stewart. He stated that at approximately 4 a.m., he left Chandra's and drove to Tracy's, arriving at approximately 4.30 a.m. He stated upon arriving to Tracy's, he and Tracy had sexual intercourse, and at about 5.30, he and Tracy were preparing to leave the apartment, and they told Tianda to lock the door and not open it for anyone. He and Tracy entered his vehicle, and he drove Tracy to work. After dropping Tracy at her work, Washington stated he drove to his mother's house. He stated that he did not remember what time he arrived or how long he stayed at his mother's. Washington does say his mother was not at home. After leaving his mother's, he went back to Miss Stewart's. He could not remember how long he stayed at Miss Stewart's, but he left in time to pick up Tracy from her workplace at 12 noon. After arriving to pick Tracy up, she was accompanied by two unidentified females who were co-workers. All three females entered his vehicle and requested to be dropped off in the area of 42nd Street. After dropping off the two females, he and Tracy went to Tracy's apartment. Tracy went inside. Washington stated he waited outside in the car. After several minutes, Tracy came back out with the note. She stated the note was left by Tianda, explaining them not being inside the apartment. Tracy and Washington decided to go to the Jewel to pick up supplies for their planned camping trip. After leaving the store and not finding the children at home, they began looking for them. An unidentified kid informed Tracy that Tianda and Diamond were at the lakefront. Washington stated he drove Tracy to the lakefront in the area of 35th Street. Tracy exited his vehicle and walked to the lake. At last and potentially most important, Tracy's original statement has her home all night, leaving for work at 6 a.m. But during this investigation, she had another story to tell. On the evening of the 5th, on the night, when he say the 6th, he's talking about any time after midnight. No, I was at home. You did not go to George Washington's house? No, because I had to go to work the next day. That day midnight, I mean, I had to be at work at uh, 7 o'clock. And it's going into the 6th. No, I was at home. We got the facts. We just need you Maybe to Maybe I did. Maybe I did. And you did what? Was that uh, Mr. Washington's house? That night of the 6th? The night of the... Going on to the six. It's possibility that you left Tiana and Diamond. Wait a minute. Go ahead. I'm listening. Yeah? Yeah, what? I was at Mr. Washington. Tell me how you know. Because early in the morning, the sun was shining. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember us coming down State Street. We was coming down State Street early in the morning. We took, um, we never did get on the expressway. Um, okay. So I remember come, us coming down. You know, we took the expressway. And we was coming up from 47 ramp. And we got off. And he dropped me off right in front of the job. You remember that now? Yeah. What time was that? Do you remember? Uh, I had to be at work at seven because I had to open up. I had to open up because I was serving lunch for the mm-hmm. summer school stuff for the yeah. kids. So, um, park this to be. Just be against the door. It's all right. It's all right. Come on, we got to be strong here. So while you were at George House that night. What did you guys do? I don't know. We probably get something to eat or just go back to the house. Did you guys stop any place to get something to eat before you arrived at his house that night? Oh, we stopped there. I don't know. We had Burger King. I don't even know. Burger King. Okay. So the question still hasn't been answered. Why did you tell the police department that you last saw your children that morning before you went to work? Scared. I'm sorry? Scared. Then just say it, Tracy. It's okay to be afraid. Tracy's whereabouts the night before the girls were known to be missing has been a topic from the very beginning. In 2007, Nancy Grace aired a live special about Tianda and Diamond Bradley and questioned this very thing. Mom's first story was she slept till 11 a.m. that morning, woke up, and the girls were gone. Then under police questioning, she stated she got up at 6 a.m. that morning. The timeline problem is from early in the morning, not the six or seven hours that she's at work. Tracy has been so inconsistent in her interviews. She went on to state that she didn't go home that night of the 5th, leading into the morning of the 6th. Okay. She didn't actually go home until after she got off from work. Now, that's her most recent recollection of what happened. She talks about being afraid of being charged with neglect or abandonment or endangering and all those things which are misdemeanors. But she nonetheless is now stating which is totally different from what has ever been reported to CPD, that she didn't leave her house at six in the morning and said, Tianda, don't open the door and don't go outside for anybody. When you told me that, I was shocked simply because that has been her story all along. Now, part of the problem that I had or anyone has had in this whole thing is that we tried to establish some sort of timeline of What time did all of this actually occur? So the only thing we had to go on was the phone records all these years. At 2.18 in the morning, there's a phone call to Tracy Bradley's home and somebody is on the phone. At 2.18 in the morning, they're on the phone for a minute and 46 seconds. At 2.26 a.m. on this morning of the 6th of July, Tracy home phone calls George Senior's home phone. So is that the girls calling and talking to George? Or is that Tracy calling and talking to George? These records, these cell phone records are one of the most concrete things that we have to go on. One of the few concrete things we have to go on, unfortunately. The statements are 
scattered all over the place. Right. Nobody is believable 100%. So this is at least one valuable source that we have because the records are the records and this they don't lie to us. George has no cell phone activity from 4.33 a.m. to 9.12 a.m. There is a time where George leaves Chandra's around 3 a.m. We know he arrives to Tracy around 4.33 a.m. because of the cell phone towers. Now, he could have picked her up and taken her to his house, which is why she has the recollection of the sun shining in her eyes that morning. That case was the largest manhunt in Chicago police history. As of this year, I believe there was over 900 reports generated mm -hmm. for it. There's eight file cabinets full of information at Area 1. The police department in the beginning certainly cared a lot. I really and truly believe that. They set up a hotline, they set up a whole task force, they had multiple resources dedicated to this thing. The biggest issue, I think, in the ensuing years here has been that the seemingly indifference of the mother. Tracy, and I did see it a little bit with her, but other investigators that had this before have said that they've showed up at Tracy's door with age progression photos that maybe she could pass out in the neighborhood or just something just to keep in touch. She wouldn't even answer the door. So I think part of the problem in the years since the girls went missing is that Tracy's indifference is like, well, okay, they're gone, that's it. I mean, she does the, the tears every 6th of July, but I don't think she has any sympathy from the police department anymore because she wasn't very sympathetic to begin with. People are tending to forget or they want to forget or they just don't want to be conscious that these babies are still missing. Absolutely, yes. So I'm not necessarily saying that the Chicago Police Department has forgotten. And speaking on the Chicago Police Department, I will say that there are so many new police officers and detectives yes. working for CPD now that outside of cold case, cold case knows this case. Right. But outside of that, it's very few officers that even, if you say Tionda and Diamond Bradley, they'll ask you, well, who are they? Right, exactly. You know, because they don't know. And the entire department is going through a shift change. Correct. So it's unfortunate, but as time goes, this is what happens. Yes. And people retire and they move on. And so, yeah, it's not a lot of people out there. Yeah, CPD did become disappointed. I'm sure they did with the inconsistencies of this family, of Tracy Bradley, just trying to get her to take one step forward. We'll take 10 more ahead of you. But, but she, she never gave us that. And still today, she's now taking a step back. She don't want to talk anymore. Just find my babies is what she said.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. With so many moving pieces, I want to get Ed Carroll on the phone, as well as former state's attorney prosecutor Darren O'Brien. Someone we've been keeping in the loop this whole time to discuss the latest case details, including my visit with Chandra Stewart. I'm here, Darren. Okay, great. Darren and Ed, I just wanted to kind of bring you up to date. Recently, I located Chandra Stewart, and I was able to have an interview with her. And she informed me that she was involved with George Washington in 2001. When the girls came up missing, she was definitely involved in a relationship with this guy at that point. And she said, but he never, around the time when the girls came up missing on July 6, 2001, she said he never said a word. 
He never said a word to her about having any involvement with Tracy Bradley or this family whatsoever. That following Monday, he dropped her off in front of the train station. She's walking through, puts her card in to pay, and she goes through the turnstile. And she says before that turnstile stopped spinning, a hand reached out and grabbed her arm. And it was the FBI that informed her that they needed to talk to her about the missing persons case of Tianda and Diamond Bradley. She said that the FBI asked her if they could put a bug on her phone to record conversations that she would be having with George Washington, which she agreed to. She stated that she would ask Washington over and over and over, hey, what do you know about this? Tell me about this. And that's when he got into telling her this story about his relationship with Tracy Bradley. She said he allowed her to listen to phone messages that Tracy had started leaving him. What about the fact that with the driving, didn't you talk to her about that too? Where they went to the Bel Air? No, she would not allow him to ever put her children in the trunk of a car. And she said that they did go to the drive-in. It was closed. They didn't go in. They ended up going to the theater to a movie theater. When he was interviewed, after what covered the hair, he said that they used to put the kids in the trunk of the car to go to the drive-in. She said her kids were never in the trunk of his car. She would never allow that. And Chandra Stewart is a pretty stand-up woman. She's educated, she has a good job. I mean, she's no bullshit. So let me ask you this. I'm assuming that the first time the FBI grabs her, she brings it to his attention because anybody yes. would. It yes, the first time. About it and so forth. So once he knows that from that point, is he repeatedly asking her, hey, did your FBI buddies contact you today? Again, if I was a guilty guy, I might be wanting to know, is the FBI closing in on me? Or does she say that, you know, once we had that initial discussion, I never talked about it again and he never asked? I threw this question to Chandra. Okay, so now after George realized that you had spoken with the FBI, did he ever ask you, like, are you still in touch with them? Are they still talking to you? Did he ever have any suspicion that you were still kind of working with them? Because I kept asking him because they asked me to get him to talk about it because they wanted to tap my phone. And I told him, yeah, and I would ask him any questions. So anytime I asked him questions, he would just say he didn't know anything about it. He hadn't seen her. He hadn't been with her. He was only with me. He never cheated on me. He didn't know what they were talking about. I said, did he ever, like, challenge you or confront you or try to make it seem like you were in with the FBI? You know, did, was there ever, like, a confrontation that he tried to have with you? You know, like, maybe being accusingly that you're trying to, you know, like, just, get him. He was him. upset that I believed them over him and that he would never lie to me. And he just didn't understand why I wouldn't believe him over them, that he didn't have anything to do with it. 
Did he ever tell you that he was taken in and questioned by CPD for hours? Never. I saw it on TV. No, he never told me that they took him in. Did you ever confront him about what you saw on TV? Yeah. I told him I saw his car and I saw everything in his car laid out on the ground. And what did he say about that? He just said that they questioned him and, you know, he let them search everything and they said he didn't have anything to do with it and they let him go. But I told him, I said it once again before. I didn't want him to come around my house, my kids, because everybody was pointing fingers at my kids and said we had kids stashed in our house and it was bad for my kids and I didn't want him around. And the guys in the neighborhood were threatening and hurting him. So he kind of stayed away after that. Hey, Pam. Yeah. Did George ever say anything to her about when the Chicago wrapped him and George and Tracy and kept him in Area 1 for a day? He never told her anything about that. He never told her about any of that? No. Wow, okay. What was her understanding about whether he was the father of Diamond or had he told her he was not. Because again, if he's the dad, you would think he'd want to talk about that more than if they were strangers to a certain extent, even though he knew them through the mom. What was her understanding of his relationship with the missing kids? He denied being the father of Diamond. He just denied it. And to this day, he's denying it now. And there was a paternity test done that proved that He is the father of Diamond. Is it your intention to try to go talk to him in the near future, or is that for further down the road? We're going to give it another shot. We did reach out to him a few months back to ask him if he would talk to us, and he kept yelling that CPD cleared him. Anything we need to know, we can get from CPD. And, I mean, he just goes on this whole rant as to... He doesn't want to have anything to do with us. He did have a conversation with Investigator Foster, and Foster was able to calm him down a little bit, and he told Foster that he would think about it with sitting down talking about this case. And Foster made sure he had his phone number, and he asked him to give me a call once you thought about it, because it is important that we sit down and talk. He said that he would do that, but to this date, He has not. Foster did tell him during their conversation they had on that day a few months ago that we just wanted to clear him as a suspect. And he was like, you can go to hell. I'm already cleared. Well, speaking of which, any help from the detectives at CPD that's supposed to be at least working on this or maybe he's in charge of it? Or is CPD not a viable option? to assist in any way. And you can talk about that because you have the no, contact. Yeah, it's still considered an open investigation, Darren, and they're not assisting us in this in any way. It's the old thing, they consider an open investigation, and my biggest thing is I think they're concerned that if they allow us to work on this or give us information from this, they're gonna have people beating on their doors about every cold case or old case that's out there. It's your understanding, Ed, that even though it's open, they're not doing anything on it right now. It's like any cold case. You let it run its course until there's nobody left to interview or there's no other evidence to submit, and then it sits until something else pops. Okay, thanks, Darren. Thanks, Ed. I'll be in touch. 
I've learned not only through the investigation, but in my own conversation with George Washington, he has an incredibly dominating personality. In my opinion, one of the reasons this case has stalled is because so many of the character witnesses fear this man. So, given the circumstantial evidence in this case, one of the strangest things that happened with this family is that a few years after Tianda and Diamond disappeared, Tracy Bradley had another child with George Washington, George Jr. And eventually you had a second baby. Yes. uh, Which is George Jr. Yes. You lost custody of George Jr. Yes. Why didn't you fight for yourself in Um, court? I did. How? I did. I did. I fought the best fight I could. Okay. Then I didn't have a lawyer. Why? I didn't have no money. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yep. He disappointed you in your life. Yeah. And you feel like he stole your children out of your life? I feel like he snatched a lot of stuff from me. Okay. My dignity, my heart, my mom. I know she's passed away. She's turning over now. My children, me, knowing that they're not in the house with me, can't sleep sometimes. So now let's talk about little George. Little George came into the world after Tianda and Diamond went missing. Correct. And the family members that I've spoken to have said that they were all suspicious of George Washington. And Tracy knew of the suspicions that they had about George Washington being the person that could have possibly been involved with taking Diamond and Tianda. Yes. You, you've heard that, correct? Yes, correct. I spoke to Shalia Bradley-Smith about this. And you said that Tracy having an additional son, a, another baby, years later, by George Washington, knowing that all of you guys, your whole family, is kind of got your eye on this guy. Well, is that accurate? That's accurate. That that caused a lot of family conflict. Man, that caused a lot of family. I mean, Tracy was still around him, and I remember one time I called Tracy's house, and I heard George in in the background. No, I heard a man, and I say, "Who is that?" She say, "That's George." I say, "Why that motherfucker in your house?" And I say, "Put me on speaker." This was the first conflict that I was able to face with George over the phone. And George has custody of this child now. Is there any reason why Tracy did not fight for the rights to retain her own son? She was scared of him. Why? George can be very intimidating. I mean, Tracy is, um, you know, I don't think she's ever had a real relationship, like with a man exclusively living in a house, you know, the shack up thing or the married thing. And George is, um, he could intimidate you if you let him. Okay. You know, um, he would express himself in a way that he's sincere. And I believe he means what he say when he say it. Uh, But the person that doesn't fear him 
would just, you know, brush it off like, you just talking shit. But George is, um, he can be very intimidating. So now, how does this fit into your head that the family is looking at this guy like he is who we're thinking has something to do with this? Right. They have even said that, you know, he didn't want to be the father of any child from Tracy Bradley. Yes, they have. And he had denied being Diamond's father. Now... They're having this feeling. Of course, Tracy knows how her family is feeling and what their thoughts are about George Washington. Right. And she turns around and has another baby with this guy. Yes. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. I think it was probably two or three years after the kids went missing when she came up with pregnant with little George. Wow. And George Washington saw the way that Tracy was allegedly raising this little boy and sued her for custody. Mm-hmm. And it's the only time I've ever heard in my entire life of a father suing and getting full parental rights because the mother was deemed... Unfit? Unfit. And I thought that was very unusual. And to that, I remember when Tracy called me and told me that George had sued her for the custody. I tried to get her at that time, put her in touch with legal aid because she was going to these hearings without a lawyer. She was going completely unprepared. And when I found out that George had gotten full custody, I asked, I said, well, what happened? And she she just did not present a good case to the advocate to the child's advocate or to the judge at all. I mean, she was deemed unfit. Only the unique combination of a dire home life for Tracy up against a strong and, in my opinion, ruthless personality could result in a custody win for a father who some believe may have been involved with the disappearance of Tianda and Diamond. Truly remarkable to me. Darren O'Brien agreed to set a meeting with us for us to update him on the state of our investigation and probably help us bring our findings to the state's attorney's office. But before we can meet with him, we have to put together all the information we've learned up until now in a way we can present to him. I get it with the state's attorney because, you know, I presented cases to them all the time. Yes. They want as much as you can get. Absolutely. As much as you can bring them to prove your case, even though you brought them everything you got. They will ask you for one more thing. It's always one more thing. We may have that one more thing. In the beginning of August, investigator Foster, Joe Strzok, and myself traveled to another state for a game-changing interview that cannot be revealed at this time for legal and safety reasons. On the next episode of Disappeared, the Bradley Sisters. I'm going to ask you again. If you know, you can tell us. We will protect you. Like I told you before we went back on, I'm very, very proud I've never lost a witness. I'd rather lose a case than lose a witness. We will protect you. If I have to sleep at your house myself, I will protect you and I will make sure your children are protected. I don't care if they live in Portland, Maine. 
we will find protection for him. If you know what he did or how he did it, you need to tell us. Disappeared the Bradley Sisters is produced by Entertainment One, Gary Sherman Films, and Mainstay Entertainment for investigation discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcast, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.